Welcome to the Dr. Lori Morris podcast, where she interviews experts in health and science, sharing their expertise so you can live your healthiest life. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Fit Vegan Coaching, the world's leading whole food plant-based body recomposition program for Gen X and baby boomers. Founded by Maxime, whose personal journey began after losing his ex-fiance to breast cancer, Fit Vegan Coaching is on a mission to disease-proof the world through the transformative power of plant-based eating and fitness. This program is the Rolls Royce of plant-based coaching, offering all-inclusive services, personalized plans, world-class accountability, lifelong support, and more. Say goodbye to the yo-yo dieting and embrace a lasting transformation that will rev up your metabolism even post-transformation. Ready to take charge of your health and vitality? Head over to fitvegan.ca, that's fitvegan.ca, and mention Dr. Lori for exclusive bonus savings when you sign up. Don't miss this opportunity to join the movement towards a healthier, fitter, and more vibrant you. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by The Healing Kitchen, your path to vibrant health. Immerse yourself in the transformative program. Guided by the combined expertise of myself, Dr. Lori Marbus, and Chef Brittany Giroudi, who has lost 70 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet. Here's what's in store for you. Virtual weekly sessions. Engage in an immersive 60-minute virtual session every single week, where you'll delve into the world of wholesome plant-based goodness right from your own kitchen. Cooking with Brittany the first half hour. Unleash your inner chef as you're captivated by Chef Brittany Giroudi's culinary mastery that will delight your taste buds and nourish your body. Medical Q&A with Dr. Lori the last half hour. Prioritize your well-being during the second half hour. I will personally address your medical inquiries, providing evidence-based insights and personalized advice, empowering you to make informed choices for your health. So join us on the Healing Kitchen to help you step into a healthier and most vibrant future. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and I am so excited to continue this conversation about overcoming food addiction with my very dear friend and expert, Catherine Van Tassel. How are you today? Good. How are you? Good. Well, let's get down to the nitty gritty because the last two podcasts, by the way, if you haven't listened to these, go back and listen to podcast one and two in this series, all about overcoming food addiction. Catherine really talks about one, you know, the state of affairs, what food addiction is, what are the causes, but today is what we've honestly, I love talking about is like the how to overcome food addiction, or at least start down that path of journey of, you know, dealing with it. So let's just maybe do a short recap on what food addiction is, how to know if you have it, and then we can kind of jump into the how to's of overcoming it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for those of you that weren't here, we were talking about what food addiction can look like. And really, we know that this isn't recognized in the DSM, um, but it's this new field of emerging science. And we most certainly have recognized that people um, well over consume food to the point where it's causing distress in their life. And that is the part that I really want people to consider when they're thinking, is this impacting me? Because we all know people that um, can eat one cookie or one candy bar and then move on and not maybe hyper-focus on it or feel like, oh, I've messed up and then eat the whole sleeve or the whole box. Um, But if you're somebody that has noticed 
food um, impacts my thoughts, whether I'm um, always thinking about food, what am I going to eat next? Did I eat too much? Um, just feeling like this, um, uh, always being consumed by thoughts of food, um, overeating food to the point where you feel physically ill, um, maybe having disordered thoughts or behaviors around that. So eating to the point of feeling sick and then saying, I'm never going to eat that food again. Um, and there's a lot of diagnostic criteria. We talked about the Yale score. Um, you can go through that online and go back and listen to that episode. But this will essentially walk you through some of those thoughts and behaviors that you might have if you do struggle with food. The underlying bottom line is if food is causing distress for you physically or emotionally, or you feel like you have lack of control around food, then that would be something to perk up and pay attention to. Um, and then go through the Yale food addiction score or the, um, the classification. And then um, we'll today talk about why, or the, sorry, the, um, things that you can do for it. Because we know that it's multifactorial. This could be um, partly genetics, partly your environment, partly um, psychological factors, like think trauma and stress in one's life. So there's not one solution that fits all. Um, kind of like anything in medicine, um, this needs to be specialized to you um, and to what's happening in your life. Perfect. So I think it's that really important piece is one understanding that this can be personalized. And so when you're, you're noticing that it's causing an issue, you're having these thoughts, kind of obsessive thoughts about foods or, you know, shame or guilt around consuming foods or feeling struggling to walk away from foods that you don't want to partake in. And then two, you do a little bit of research and you're like, you know, I think I fit the category of basically food addict or difficulty struggling with food addiction. So how do we begin one, maybe with the mindset of knowing that this is going to be a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. Maybe we can sit there and just set the tone for realistic be, you know, outcomes and how long it's going to take or, if there's another way you feel like we should start. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Maybe um, thinking about the different treatment modalities, um, we have therapy, we have medications and community. I would say those would be the three big buckets. Um, and therapy that can be um, psychotherapy, that could be working with a psychiatrist doing medications and therapy. Um, so multiple options within these buckets. Because um, community could look different too. So maybe we could start with talk therapy because this is one of the most well-researched um, and there's multiple options. So think of dialectical behavioral therapy, um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and interpersonal therapy. Those are three that have been researched in this area. And maybe we could talk about CBT because I think CBT is fun to talk about and um, kind of go through what that would look like. Sure. Am I okay. going to be your guinea pig? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I, like that. I don't like it to be just on me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's um, go for it. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Um, so cognitive behavioral therapy, for those of you that aren't um, familiar with it, is essentially we have what I always tell patients that I work with, um, stinking thinking. So we have these thoughts that are essentially not true. Um, and we kind of have to be 
a judge of our thoughts. Like, mm, is this true or is this my stinking thinking? And challenge those thoughts. I mean, I'm sure everybody that's listening to this could um, relate to a time where something happened and then they ruminate on that and it becomes this bigger and bigger tale in their head and it causes a lot of anxiety or um, maladaptive behaviors. So when we identify our thoughts and challenge them, it can be very, very helpful um, because our mind tends to uh, play some tricks on us from time to time. So um, when we're thinking of a thought, what would be a thought, Laurie, around food that you could think of that may be untrue or a story you're telling yourself that would work against you? Oh, I could eat a bag of nuts and not have any consequences. Yeah. Like I'm talking a pound of nuts, not, not just a handful. Um, so this thought that, um, you love nuts, you can eat all the nuts and you have no control over it, especially pecans. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Um, so Dr. Laurie Marvis has no control over pecans. This is the story you're telling it yourself in your brain. Okay. Yep. So much <laughs> that I put them in the back of the cupboard and only order them at a certain time of year, which is now because I utilize them in recipes and I found myself snacking on them. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's work on this. <laughs> um, okay. So what would be a trigger that would cause you to overconsume said pecans? Mm, so many. Uh <laughs> I would say a break in my meetings, right? So it's time to get up and stretch and move. And literally the kitchen is right here. So I I know what's behind that cabinet door. And I could probably tell you how much is left in the pit. <laughs> and so, you know, it's not even so much quote unquote boredom because I feel like there's plenty of things that I can do to keep myself mentally engaged, but it's like getting up and movement, trying to do that piece. And I might as well be proactively you know, looking and doing things while I'm moving around. So I would say a natural break in my day. So snacking pieces, and especially if it's closing in on either the lunch hour or the dinner hour, and I haven't made my meal yet. So mm. it's like a primer to the meal. <laughs> it's like, your appetizer. and so, or it's, you know, after my meal, I'm like, oh, that's a few nuts. That's my dessert. Mm. But you know, three or four or five handfuls, one downs up in a day so again um and sometimes just to you know appease my mind about consuming too many pecans out there and some pumpkin seeds or walnuts <laughs> to get my zinc and my ala <laughs> so you're making it a healthy indulgence i'm making it even a more healthy indulgence by consuming more nuts than just my handful of pecans because you shouldn't decrease the amount of pecans i'm just adding to it i'm not restrictive i'm adding to so yeah there you go those are the inner workings of my brain at this, these last few days. <laughs> and I think that this is such a good example because, you know, all of us think, oh, pecans are healthy food, right? There's nothing wrong with pecans, um, but it's anything we can overeat. Um, mm -hmm. And that then leads to bad outcomes if we just overeat in times when we're not physiologically hungry, right? Mm -hmm. So this comes to noticing that and recognizing that trigger. When you said it wasn't boredom, it was this break. It doesn't seem like it's boredom, but it's something to keep you busy. Yeah. Um, or maybe like the next thing you want to do, that's going to take some sustained focus. So yeah. somewhat of a distraction. 
Um, possibly yeah I I my husband and Jonathan my son like to say mom you just like to work so I I get I love working like not working like (laughs) I like I like creating right so I feel like with my work and seeing patients I love that interaction I love reading and learning and saying okay how am I going to share this with my audience or my patients, how it's going to benefit them. I'm so excited to share a new message that someone might be able to benefit from. So there's that piece. So yeah, there is definitely a mental fatigue that may come with that. And I'm liking, okay, yeah, I can eat this. This will keep my stomach from going, you know, um, or if I've had a delay in my, my lunch or something, sometimes that, cause like I haven't eaten lunch yet and it's almost two. Yeah, that's a problem as well. Um, so no, yeah, you're exactly right. There is, I can rationalize anyway. And you know, each half of the pecan is 10 calories. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm going through even like monitoring my cal, my caloric intake, it's like, oh, I have room for another five Ten calories. <laughs> I think that uh, that's- So this kind of plays into what I was going to say next is keeping a diary or noting when you do this, if you, like, if it doesn't come easily, like, why am I doing this? But like having this conversation that I'm sure there's like, everything's multifactorial, but um, that fatigue, you are, especially in a creative role or in a helping role and a helping like service, that takes a lot of energy. So you get some energy from those pecans, some enjoyment, like very passive too, because there's, you don't have to put a lot of effort to that. Well, and I wish you'd also share that there's a really strong childhood foundational memory about my enjoyment of pecans. So my great grandparents, so my grandmother's parents had a huge pecan tree in their backyard and they lived 20 minutes from us. And some of my favorite memories are going to their house, picking up the pecans, cracking the pecan, like they came in, pecans come in shells, by the way, for those of you who don't know this, that actually pecans are a shelled nut, <laughs> they come in a shell, and in the natural state, you have to crack the shell and pull it up, <laughs> and I know many of us are removed from that and don't understand that, but that is, that is, was a huge enjoyment, and then eating these pecans that just came off this tree was such a delight, and then my great-grandmother would make the most delicious pecan pie. <gasps> oh my gosh. Just thinking about it, I'm seriously salivating. And so every time I eat that pecan, there's that little bit of happiness and joy, just reliving those days when I was a kid and would spend time with my great grandparents. And so there's that too. <laughs> okay. See, there's lots of reasons there yes. behind it. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've identified trigger emotional tie to that mm-hmm. enjoyment that it's brought to us. So then we would move on with um, challenging that thought because it's this thought that I can't control myself mm-hmm. um, around around these. And is that really true? I would say on certain days, sure. I think, you know, I try to portray a positive affect when I'm in front of, you know, camera, doing my lives, doing my YouTube, but people don't understand. I get tired. I get stressed as well. I really try, worked really hard on my inner voice and how I talk and get myself, you know, out of that as quickly as possible. But on those days that I would say that I am more fatigued and really struggle, um, 
you know, a stressful event or news or something. Again, you know, like, for example, when my husband's mom was dying earlier this year and she passed away in April, I would definitely say I would be at a high risk of, you know, looking for that moment, right? Because when it's bringing me joy, thinking about my great grandparents, I like the crunch, I like the taste and they're easily accessible. So, and I don't have to think of them as an unhealthful food because they're, they are a healthy food. But at the same time, I shouldn't be eating half a pound in one day. So, you know, that would be absolutely true. Contextually, it can absolutely be a challenge in where I would struggle with resistance. And that's where I don't typically have pecans in the house most of the year. <laughs> so you've made a choice, right? Right. To- to change your environment. Right. Exactly. Even though it's hard. (laughs) Even though, so that would, this would be my question to anyone else too, when they're trying to make this change would be, what is something that you've done in the past that has been hard, but you've Mm. still succeeded and made a change in it? Oh yeah. Like, you mean like something I shouldn't do or challenge or just doing things that are hard? Well, it could be anything, something that you wanted to change, but it was very difficult for you to change a behavior. Um, something that was difficult to change, I think, well, I think self-talk, right? So I think honestly, this inner dialogue and why I've become so fascinated by helping people understand that we can change our inner dialogue and why I get attracted to psychology. So when I was in college, there was a particular course that I really wanted to take was abnormal psychology. (laughs) I loved psychology like I should have honestly I could have easily become a psychiatrist or psychologist because it's health psychologist if I didn't know about health psychology I probably (laughs) wouldn't be talking to you right now as an MD and um so that piece was really an important piece where was I going with this oh yes and looking and thinking about this inner dialogue so I grew up in a home that mm, didn't encourage a healthy inner dialogue but I had people in my life that spoke a different language. So I had really was blessed in the sense that I had people who taught me a different language of inner dialogue. And so I think that was really hard for me for a long period of time, um, probably four to five, six years, maybe even well into my early forties of allowing destructive self-talk to impede my movement and doing things. Right. And um, the reason that I, I, was able to do harder things was honestly, was just to say that, tell people I'm worthy of your um, love or uh, adoration or whatever it is, or acceptance, right? It, be it family or friends or whatever, because I've, I've earned it. I've done these hard things besides just being a human. And just from that capacity, we should love each other. But I think that inner dialogue and that inner work, mental work, was by far the hardest behavior to change because it's not something that you expose to someone on a regular basis, but it has such a profound uh, implications on how I respond to the world, how I am there for people. And I think my children were a huge benefit to me in the sense that I, I needed to model a different behavior and thinking and how I respond to things and really trying to take time to reflect on things as something happened was it my response in how I lack of activity or lack of something, or did I overdo something? And really just trying to see 
how understanding that how I care and think to myself about myself in all day, every day is so important and that it's okay um, that on occasion, yes, I'll, you know, hear things in the mental chatter, but the majority of the conversation in my head needs to be positive because mm -hmm. that's how I show up in the world in a better, positive, more manner. And it doesn't make me, it doesn't make me, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Stingy or self, uh, self, like, you know, arrogant or, Oh, I'm worth it. This, this is, yeah, self-centered. That's what I'm looking for. This really just takes takes me to a place of self-care that we should all be able to do and should be doing. And I'm certainly by no means an expert or perfect at it, but I've come a long way. And it's made, honestly, dealing with life stressors so much easier when I can try and think of a different way to see the perspective and expanding my view. So I kind of think of it as in the... In, when I was growing up and how that language that I learned from my experiences was like looking through a keyhole, right? So the keyhole is very narrow. I have a limited view of what I can see, but as I've learned to learn to uh, take different perspectives from different people, engage in curiosity and having grace with myself and my thoughts and my actions and be forgiving that keyhole now allowed, you know, I unlocked it and opened the door. So now the view is much wider. And honestly, life is way more enjoyable. When you take multiple perspectives, you're decreasing judgment with yourself and others. Um, there's so much less stress. Holy moly, so much self-inflicted stress, right? Yes. Uh, it's insane to me how much worry and stress because of these thoughts that I'm having that have no basis in reality. And then that's the other thing. Reality really is your perspective in the world. We might be looking at the same thing, but the realities could be quite starkly different depending on the person's experience and what they're, how they're interpreting an experience or whatever an event. <clears throat> Fascinating stuff on resiliency, growth mind. Anyway, um, but yeah, I would say the hardest thing I've ever done is changing the mental chatter and discussions um, in my head because. Um, because it can lead you down some dark roads and you have to be very, very careful. This is so perfect because the example that you gave um, speaks to how we were raised and so much of this also goes into our behavior around food now, right? Right. Um, and it can be positive, which you had a <sighs> very positive experience with pecans and this beautiful tree and a I mean, this is like, couldn't be more of a fairy tale, right? Hmm. Um but it can also be the opposite for other people. Yeah, I would say this, it is interesting, right? So, <clears throat> and everyone's going to have a different experience with food as they grow up. But for me, what was interesting, because we didn't have a lot of money, we, my mother um, really focused in on buying healthy foods because when they were cheaper and they could stretch a dollar, we grew a lot of our own vegetables and we had tons of beans and potatoes and all those things. And we had limited meat. We did have meat, but it was not like at every meal. <laughs> um, we never went out to eat because it cost too much money. And so I learned, I didn't have the ultra processed food addiction issues that I think, you know, given the emotional state of the home, I could have easily, if those foods would have been available, I could have seen myself going down a very different path, but the, my environment didn't allow that. The only time that I got the more ultra processed foods was when I'd go stay with my grandmother for the summer 
and she would buy these things because she thought it was showing love to buy mm-hmm. soda and oh my goodness those cheesy doritos and the funyuns oh the crunch and the salt oh my goodness and you know i didn't really like a lot of ice cream or stuff but those things i knew i could enjoy <laughs> my grandmother's and but so that was again i think if i would have been in a stressful situation and had those foods and knew i know what those foods will do to you because i remember sitting down my ground and eating my my weight in doritos you know understanding that that enjoyment and that relief and dopamine hit could easily turn into something with maladaptive behaviors but i didn't have that so i found other ways to compensate and that was this destructive self-talk that i had about uh, being unworthy and yada yada so many people are struggled with and much worse situations than I ever dealt with. But honestly, um, we all have our demons that we have to struggle with, but that self-talk piece is so important in how we rationalize the destructive behaviors of either how we talk to ourselves, is it eating or doing drugs or whatever it is that we may find ourselves in. Um, it's all, all goes back to this thing in our head. So important, but I turn it over to you because you are the professional in this area. <laughs> it does. And this is why, like, for, for people that are listening, when you think about how many times you've tried to make a health-promoting change away from something that you've been doing that didn't promote health or worsened your health, and you have not met that goal, um, and maybe you've not met that goal over and over and over again, and you feel personally like a failure, this is this is why, right? Because we can't white knuckle our way through this until we actually understand why this behavior is happening. And then we challenge these thoughts. And where did these thoughts come from? Was Mm. it, you know, from your childhood or from stress relief or trauma? And until we recognize that, like what we're doing in this example and all the things that came up that crossed so many people um, in their experience too, like you were saying with food, you had two stark examples there. And I, we've both seen in our practice, you know, when parents are trying to change their diet for their kids to be more health promoting, right. there's so much guilt, like, oh, they're being left out now, or, you know, but they should have fun. And because food is marketed to us is to be fun and to celebrate. And, or if you had a bad day, like you name any emotion and food is sold that way. Right. You did good. Great. You had a bad day. Great. Like here, this is all just always being pushed in our face. And the thought of this gift you could give your children to be able to regulate their feelings and not self-soothe with food. Um, man, I would have, I would have loved that gift. You know, for me, I was, it was being introduced to dieting. It's second I hit middle school. It was like the era of, you know, Jane Fonda and Slim Fast. (laughs) Well, Jane Fonda is a little bit earlier. I was going to say, you are not the Jane Fonda. My mother had Jane Fonda too. I think Jane Fonda was active when I was a kid. So you were definitely not. (laughs) I just had exposure through through videos. Right. But you were were exposed to it through, like I grew up with the Beatles because my mom was a teenager in the 60s, right? So I love the Beatles, right? So these are things, yeah, exactly. You're exposed to it. So my thoughts around food were always eat as little as possible because you want to be as small as possible. This whole thought of women trying to shrink themselves instead of being healthy and strong. Um, 
So that was just one diet after another. But for all of you that have experienced dieting, what happens? It backfires every single time, which is mm. why the diet industry is a billion dollar industry, right? Mm. Yeah. So I think, you know, an interesting thing is when I think about meals at, at home, it was all like the food tasted fine, but it didn't have like, like, I really want more because of the taste. Like I felt full. I, I'm, it was, yeah. So we'd put things in the refrigerator, we had leftovers the next day. So we, I was never pushed except for one time, which I won't go into, um, to consume something I didn't want. And it was anyway, very unhealthy really unhelpful thing but that piece it was like when you were full you were satisfied you were done and you put your food away in the refrigerator and ate it for leftovers the next day and utilized so I never either was pushed either like for food scarcity in the sense of that there were times we certainly wouldn't have had food if my grandmother wouldn't have brought us food um but there are pieces to that whole thing is just you know I was learned to be satisfied with potatoes and beans <laughs> so Foods that we won't over consume yeah. right because right. they don't light up our addiction pathway right exactly and we've never overeaten you know carrots or in your case we can't use blueberries but <laughs> I, I could eat my weight in blueberries but it again but it's not like the pecan right it's that crunchy higher fat yeah, yeah. Something about the pecan but anyway but yeah so there's uh yeah there's value in understanding and oh well kind of this I wanted to share you know the rabbit hole we were talking about that I went have been going down with this narrative psychology piece in that book by um by uh James Pennebaker and of course I heard this on the Huberman lab about the Pennebaker writing protocol then I started doing research and I'm going to get this poor this poor man doesn't know it yet but I'm going to invite him to my podcast somehow (laughs) but he wrote a book called opening up by writing it down I think this is really important because you spoke to it and it kind of made me think about this was, you know, evaluating the emotions and the triggers and all that around here. But speaking to writing about something that troubles you and just writing it down for like 15 minutes, just creative, expressive writing. There's a little bit of a protocol. It's very simple to do. You guys check out the book or listen to the Huberman podcast recently about this and seeing how understanding because now what we've done is we're writing it out it's our own truth we're writing the facts as we remember it writing our story it's the emotions we felt then the emotions we feel now and then you know if anything else bubbles up you know writing about it so then we're sitting down and we're putting pen to paper or fingers to the typing uh keyboard that really is key is because that allows us to see it in front of us like oh wow I didn't think about that piece to it. Um, and then over the course of the four days, like what they would just prescribe is you'll see a change in from more negative uh, discussion or words to a more positive. And that's where I think they see the well-being uh, peace and joy and mental health and even physiologic health, um, biologic health that can come out of this type of exercise. And I'm loving it. But anyway, but yes, I think that that investigation of the emotions that are attached to it are so important. What's so funny about this is this is all rooted in mindfulness, right? Mm, yes. And that's how we make change. Mm. It's not willpower. It's being mindful. And whatever way you end up doing that, like this exercise is fantastic 
sit down very tactile whether it was the computer or writing and you get to see it after all of this stuff you poured out Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing mindful experience. And it's safe, right? So you don't, nobody else has to read this. It's just for yourself. You don't have to worry about judgment. You don't have to worry about anything. And it's just, you're just letting your free thought, free flow, let it go. And there's something about releasing the struggle out into the world. Um, yeah, it's just such an important piece. And that's the community aspect that you're speaking to, of having someone that you can go to that's a safe place um having a special person in your life one you just need one if you have more than one you're blessed um but yeah the the loneliness all that the community is really important yeah okay so this is a lot of good information and so if we were to sum this up it would be the story that you tell yourself that you can't control yourself around pecans (laughs) However, we know the end, it's not true you do you in the way you do it as you bring them in once a year. But mm-hmm. if we went through the exercise, it'd be challenging this and then recognizing when would you lose control over pecans and why. We know they're high fatty food. We talked about in the previous podcast of what happens when we eat these very delicious um, foods and why our brain wants us to keep eating more. It's evolutionary. So this isn't you being a failure. And you have this rooted, happy memory. So you have something else on top of that that's reinforcing of that. Um, But you are very self-aware. You have done a lot of your own work. um, And something that you've done is your own self-talk, which is you have now this experience of having a negative um, behavior, the negative self-talk. You recognized it. You changed it. And now you said... I think that that example, what you said, you were looking in this little keyhole and essentially you opened up the door by doing this. And did that happen overnight? No, none of this happens overnight. But your life has essentially changed and that has crossed over into so many things by just looking at one maladaptive behavior, which all of us have negative self-talk. I mean, it's, you know, do you remember that? Did you ever watch the show Mean Girls? Um, where the three girls were staring in the mirror and one was like, oh, my nose is too big. And the other one's like, oh, my hips. And one of the girls had never been exposed to that because she'd been raised in Africa with like animals and on safari. And she couldn't understand why these girls were saying it, but she wanted to fit in with her community. And she was like, uh, uh, she was trying to think of something to say bad about herself Mm. um, because she hadn't been raised in that culture. Um, So you know, identifying, challenging it, and then finding a different way. So your story is, um, I can um, eat these in moderation. So for me, I bring them in around the holidays, and that's when I enjoy them, and they become a very special treat to me. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I, I make it harder to order them. So I don't, this is not something I get off Amazon one click. <laughs> I have in my head said the only place that I can order these are nuts.com. And I have to go on, I have to log into the site, I have to put in my address. So it's like a very, it's way more energy than I'm willing to expend typically, because by the time that I would order it, I'm like, you know what, you don't need these right now. It's not the holidays. Shut you down. So that, that also is, you know, being mindful and creating some type of space to, to reflect and ask myself, is this really something I need to do right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've set up barriers too, mm-hmm. to not, to make the, 
the bad choice, the hard choice, not the easy choice. Yeah. I think that Amazon one click, that's the other, probably other thing is that I like to, it's like, if somebody says, you should, okay, let's try it. <laughs> so I get things in here. I'm like, so I'm like, always like something shows up. They're like, my husband, one of his favorite things is like, now what did you order? I'm like, well, there's a reason. <laughs> See, Amazon has done a very good job with this. Like it makes oh. it so easy. Oh, oh and man. I am a high utilizer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, and AI is only going to make it worse, right? I'm, I can't even imagine. They probably will think a thought and it'll just show up on the doorstep. It's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'll be bad. That'll be bad for me. <laughs> exactly. Oi, oi, oi. So that's an example of cognitive behavioral therapy. Nice. Um, and dialectical behavioral therapy is um, somewhat different. Uh, it teaches aspects of mindfulness, which is really good. And we kind of talked about why that can be really helpful, um, especially in this idea of when we become stressed, angry, lonely, tired, hungry, whatever that is, um, going to this behavior immediately that might not be good and dialing that back. Um, mindfulness is a great tool there, like doing breathwork exercises, um, think of square breathing or progressive um, body relaxation, downloading an app, anything to break that cycle. Again, being very mindful. Um, and then like they focus on distress tolerance um, because we all have stress in our lives and we have to, um, we have to address that. And that could be with people in our lives or jobs whatever that everybody has stress. So having a higher level of tolerance or being able to cope with that. Um, so that's an, another therapy, but I think also, you know, this idea of figuring out what's happening in your life and where this may be coming from is really important. Um, because trauma, that is the one thing that I really wanted to address in terms of food addiction, because we see a high crossover here. Um, with people that have experienced trauma, um, because this can be something that's self-soothing or um, sadly in the worst cases of sexual trauma, um, food is used um, as this protection. Um, and what we see is people that have excess weight or obese, there's a very high relevance of those that have experienced sexual trauma and it's become a protective factor for them. So this Clearly, if you're experiencing this, please reach out to a professional um, to get help um, and have community around you. So um, this potentially could be group therapy if appropriate. Um, and there are really good therapies to address trauma. And I'm sure for anybody experiencing this, this crosses over into other parts of your life. But just knowing that, like where where is this coming from and being very honest with yourself um, is, is really important in, in this space. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, point is that if you are struggling with, you know, we were just kind of thinking about something that has a very minor consequence in my life, but of course people are dealing with much more substantial addictions and struggles and we certainly don't want to downplay that. Um, so absolutely reach out to someone to get the help that you need, but we wanted to kind of bring out an example just to make people start thinking about it. And if you are really struggling, absolutely look for help. There's a really great resource too. I love this book, The Body Keeps Score. I think mm -hmm. that's such a really phenomenal understanding of kind of speaks to the trauma and the sexual um, 
difficulties or traumas that people have may have done, especially um, in youth. Um, I think there was a, I can't remember what book I was listening to, but they were saying that under the age of 17, 22% of women had had some type of sexual <clears throat> abuse occur in their life and 10% of men um, before the age of 17. And so it's just overwhelming to think about that one in every five women that you see walking down the street have had some type of sexual trauma in any way. So that can have severely serious consequences mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, so many things. So absolutely reach out. Is there any particular area that you would say or a hotline or anything that you can recommend for people? Yeah. So right off the top of my head, 988 is now our new number if anybody's in crisis. Um, so that's a crisis mental health. You'll be directed, um, one, if you're Spanish speaking, two, if you're a vet, um, a veteran, and then three to a local community if resource, if that's not it. Um, very practical if you're employed, which most people are employed or have a spouse that's employed. Many companies have an EAP um, or some sort of mental health solution like a vendor to use. Um, the reason why that's a great resource is because it's free and you can access it very quickly. And we know anybody with a mental health um, disorder, we get better. Like if mental, you get better from mental health, just like we get better from other diseases, but it's getting treatment and getting it quickly, just like mm -hmm. anything else. The sooner we address hypertension or diabetes. Um, so sometimes there can be long waits. And so if you have something in place with a a partner or a spouse um, or yourself and your employer, um, look at that. Also going through your insurance um, is another option. And then this would lead me into community. Um, community is such a great resource to tap into. So the Surgeon General has put out um, his, uh, his uh, it's not a proposal, I can't now think of the word. His report, yeah, on the um, epidemic of loneliness, thank you. Mm. Um, and this is a very real thing we're seeing right now. Um, this was so interesting when I was reading some of the literature on this. So like a couple of decades ago, you did a survey across the United States and asked people um, how many close um, either friends or family could you reach out to if like, let's say your car broke down um, and you need somebody to come pick you up or your kid was sick at daycare and you couldn't leave work. Um, you know, these people like in a, in a real big um, crisis you could reach out to, the average answer was about two to three. They redid this survey um, recently and the average number now is zero. Oh. Which I thought was just shocking, you know? Um, and social psychologists or, you know, people or researchers are trying to figure out, you know, what's going on and a lot of it we know is we're becoming more disconnected, the more hyper-connected um, with devices we're becoming. Um, because you, I mean, if you think about it, you could live in your house and not see another soul. It, like you could work remotely. You could order all your food to your house. Um, we already talked about Amazon. If you can't order food, you can Amazon it. Um, you could pay your light bill, your gas. I mean, Really, we've just become the society that if we wanted to, we could completely self-isolate. Um, and I don't think that we wanted to, but you know, through the pandemic, we had to do that and we just haven't seemed to move out of that so much. Hmm. So we're seeing increased rates of depression, anxiety, and this plays in so much to what we're talking about. 
um, with food addiction because that's become a coping mechanism. The average weight gain during COVID was about 30 pounds um, per person. Um, And so this is just, it just kind of is compounding on itself. So getting into community um, for whatever reason that is, um, you know, when we're looking at underlying reasons why we might cope with food or have developed a bad um, habit with that or a maladaptive habit is fantastic because why? Well, you get to see you're not alone. <laughs> this, this can feel like nobody else struggles with this except for me um, or nobody has it as bad as I do, but that's a hundred percent not true. So in a community, you see other people that are struggling as well or other people that have been where you've been and have gotten better. Um, or if there's something that you really um, are trying to problem solve, there are other people there to help you with that. Accountability is fantastic. Um, just kind of like this idea, if you sign up for a fitness class with somebody else, as long, you know, when you know somebody's counting on you, you're more likely to go. Um, so community is just like one benefit after another. And if we're thinking specifically about community around food addiction, um, there's Overeaters Anonymous. So there is a structured community for this. Um, And this is a place that um, is safe. It's instructor-led. There are guidelines around it. So safety for those that come there. Um, And it's built on the AA 12 step. So um, there is this thought of a higher power that it's not just us. Um, and that can be whatever you are, even if you don't have a spirituality practice, this is just this essential, it could be universal, um, but there, it's a fellowship um, and it's a common desire to discontinue um, over compulsive eating um, and be, have a healthier relationship with food. No, I think that's great. Those are some phenomenal resources, 98, all of that you're discussing, I think. Yeah, that community piece is is really important. So, you know, latching on to someone, and if you're isolated remotely, um, you know, online groups to start with, and then, you know, trying to find meetup groups or other places that, you know, connecting with people who have same interests is really, really important. So, well, fantastic. Well, I know we've gone quite a while, so we will uh, thank you, Catherine, for sharing your expertise and having some real fun, interesting deep dives into my mental health. And so I appreciate that. And uh, we're excited to see um, your journey into this space and seeing what you're going to be offering soon. And thank you again for sharing with us today. Thanks for having me.